Welcome to the Conscious Marketing Podcast, where marketers come to look themselves in the mirror and discover how to unlock their superpowers. In this episode, we discuss the true power of language and ask, do our words really matter? Industry expert Tamson Webster joins us to go within and see the role of self-talk, how it impacts what we produce as marketers, and uncover new language to inspire change. Tamson Webster is an acclaimed keynote speaker, idea whisperer, and message strategist. She combines 20 years in marketing, 13 years as a Weight Watchers leader, and four years as executive producer of one of the oldest and one of the largest locally organized TED Talk events in the world into a simple structure for understanding, talking about, and creating lasting change. As a result, she's an in-demand consultant on finding the ideas that move people to action. You can learn more at TamsonWebster.com. That's T-A-M-S-E-N-W-E-B-S-T-E-R.com. Jeff Livingston is the founder of Livingston Campaigns and Livingston Photography. He's a marketing leader, a buzz creator, a published author, and a social fundraiser. As an online marketer and social fundraiser, Jeff has helped brands and nonprofits raise more than $225 million online. And now he leverages the gig economy to make CMO level talent and marketing project execution available for companies of all sizes. You can learn more at livingstoncampaigns.com. And that brings us to me. I'm Nicole Kelly, the founder of the Conscious Marketing Institute, a marketing visionary, industry innovator, and quantum healer. I have a track record for creating evolutionary change in the marketing industry. As an early pioneer in social media measurement, I wrote the book, How to Measure Social Media, and created many of the data standards that are still in use today. But then, life took an interesting turn, and after three minor strokes and a near-death experience that were caused from over three decades on the hamster wheel of success, I founded the Conscious Marketing Institute, where we have a mission to inspire marketers to unlock their superpowers so together we can help humanity step into its full potential. Learn more at ConsciousMarketingInstitute.com. Please join Jeff and I in a warm welcome for today's guests, and together, let's create an industry-wide evolution of consciousness. Hi, and welcome to the Conscious Marketing Podcast. I'm Nicole Kelly, and I'm here joined with Jeff Livingston and Tamson Webster. Thanks for joining. Hello. I'm so happy to be here. We're so happy to have you. So today's episode, I'm really excited, and I I was super excited, Tamson, that we were able to reconnect and really have this conversation because I wanted to talk about the power of language. And having worked with Tamson and being a colleague on the speaking circuit for so long, the one thing I can tell you about Tamson is she understands how to communicate and how to communicate effectively. And so for today's episode, we're going to talk about three forms of specific communication, the power of self-talk. So I really want to talk about how our inner dialogue is created, where it comes from, how we can use it to empower us, Uh, the power of language and creating change. So not specifically just talking about messaging in the context of, is it is it a message people understand, but does it actually work in creating the change that we're inspired to create? And then taking that one step further and looking at this from the perspective of marketing and learning everything that we've learned today, what, how do we actually take, take something away from this and use it at the office tomorrow? So with that, Tamson, you want to kind of get us started and maybe just tell us a little bit about 
your, your, I guess, relationship with language and how hmm. you became such an excellent communicator? Uh, well, I, I realized probably just a few months ago, I, I, there's this line that came into my head and that's that words are the currency of ideas. And, and so much of marketing work, but just life is about figuring out how to take something that's in your head and get it out into a form that other people understand it in as close to the same way as you do as possible. And, and unfortunately for us, that the only real way that we have to do that yet, I guess, is, is that we have to go through this translation of words first. We have to figure out, okay, I have an idea. And even though we talk to ourselves in words, there's always this magical thing that happens if you had this experience where you start to try to talk about your idea and all of a sudden you're like, I do not have the words for this. <laughs> and, and, it's, and it can be frustrating and, and debilitating sometimes that we get to that point where we're like, yes, okay, I really have figured out the way to talk about my idea. Then you've really harnessed the entire power of it. So I think that there, uh, is, there is always use for more ideas in the world. I think everybody has at least one great big idea. Uh, and so it's really exciting to me to... to Figure, help people figure out how do we how do we find the words that hold that idea and really help other people understand them. Beautiful. And looking at you know so having this conversation of the power in language and communicating externally, let's turn the lens internal and take a look at how our inner dialogue impacts all of that, right? Like how does our inner dialogue impact the way we communicate, how, you know, the words that we select. And so I was just curious because it's something that people don't talk about a lot is like, what does the voice in your head sound like? And what, you know, what kind of things does it say? <laughs> so um, my, yeah, my voice, my inner, inner voice is usually going, did that work? How's that working? It, does that make sense? That doesn't make sense. Are they reacting? That's not the reaction I was expecting. Why is it? Like, what's going on? And so I think, you know, a lot of times, you know, my inner voice is always trying to identify where a gap is between potential and reality, let's say, and what's the source of the gap. And so I think that's, that's kind of constantly what's going on. And that's true, not only from, from marketing, but like in my life as well. It's like, well, why isn't this working? And where, like, I know where I want it to be and I know what I'm trying to do, but what's the, what's the gap? And it's always like, what can I, what can I shift? Where's the, where's the perspective that will bring everything in, in line here? Where, where could I do that? So I'm always just trying to find, you know, things like that. Where's the gap? Where's it coming from? But on the flip side, there's the, the flip side of that is like, where's the energy and where's the power? And that's also a thing that's, that's going through my mind. Um, and you know, even when I love to travel, um, I always love to travel. That's not conditional. <laughs> when I travel, um, you know, what I'm always looking for, you know, I tend not to necessarily go to the, the big tourist places. I really love just walking around a city on the side streets and seeing to the extent that I can, like what makes that city feel that way? Like, what is it that people wear or what do they do or what are the habits? Because again, it's just this constant question of where's the energy here and how is that, how is that turned into power? So That's a lot of self-talk is around that. I ask a lot of questions of myself. <laughs> right. 
Yeah, it's funny. Like, I feel like I have like two voices. I have the the bad Jeff, which is like kind of like a whip almost. Like, oh man, that's terrible, man. You got to keep going. That sucks. You got to do better. Like harsh, really harsh, right? And then there's the, uh, I feel like this is the entrepreneur, or at least the successful person in me, is the one that's like, okay, so this is where we got to go. This is the roadmap. These are the challenges. What do we have to do to get there, right? What's next? How can I make it? Um, even visualizing that that end, end goal is something that I think I'm really good at is really imagining what it would look like if it was successful and then putting myself to task to get there. But uh, I feel like the negative guy, the one that's like, oh, it sucks, it's awful, blah, 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 that's the one that kind of really, like, holds me back, you know? When I get caught there, it takes me even, like, sometimes as long as a day or two to work myself out of there, even though I, I recognize when I'm there that it, this is probably really a, a bad spot, right? Mm-hmm. That something's happened that I need to kind of look back at and figure out what's going on and recalibrate. Yeah, I think I think we all have those moments, and I, I, I know I do. Like, those moments you're like, well, that was dumb, like, or that was terrible, or what the hell do you think you're doing trying to do any of this? I think that happens a lot. I think if, if I've learned anything, and this has not been more from professional, this is more from personal life, it's that... Well, first thing is to give myself permission to have that. Like that's a first response and it's a very natural and a normal one. Uh, But I I do try to move myself out of that as fast as possible. So I think I I long have said to myself is like, you know, you can have a pity party. That's totally fine. But like any good party, it should have a start and an end time. Um, (laughs) So, you know, like, like feel it like, because there's a real reason why you're feeling it. And, and you know, I learned the hard way that not feeling feelings doesn't work very well. Um, but trying to move when the feelings are what they are, trying to trying to use the other two levers that are all, always in play, and that's thoughts, which is how else can I think about this, um, and actions, what else can I do? Um, so you know, there are times when you know, in the it was just a really dreadful, cold, dark winter here up in Boston. And that affects me when I can't get out into the sun and all of that. And so there really were days where it's just like, okay, what does the list say I need to do today? Not because I felt like doing it, but because that's the thing that I need to do. And so I just try to find ways to, um, get those inner voices to have conversations. <laughs> I'm really starting to sound insane at this point. Um, I think this is like really, it really is, really normal. It, yeah. yeah, I mean, it's just really the, it's to say, you know, like it, it's, it's to allow the things that are going to happen to happen, but then only give them the amount of space that they actually deserve. And I think that's a lot of times where self-talk can get out of scale is that when – you know, we start to, and this is a pattern that I saw when I had uh, an anxiety disorder, you get into this pattern of thinking that I'm having this negative thought, and then you have a negative thought about having a negative thought, and then, then you have a negative thought about having negative thought about having negative thought, and then you're like, <laughs> and you're like what's wrong with me? When, when the reality is it's totally normal in that situation to go, well, I'm, is it normal that I feel stressed right now? Yes. Okay. Or is it normal that I feel sad right now? Yes. Is it normal for me to feel like defeated right now? Yes. Uh, And if, if that's fine, then okay, go, okay, well, there's a good reason for it. Feel it. But now what are you going to do with that? And that's, that's, that's to me has always been 
the way forward. It's just to say, the feeling is not the full stop. Like a lot of times I think we allow that to be there. I don't feel like doing this or I feel like I'm not worth it or I feel like, but it's like you can't actually know any of that's true until you do something with it. That's right. So that's why I say try to like get past, you know, go, go past what the feeling is trying to tell you because it, it, it doesn't guide anything by itself. Yeah. It's, so I have this really interesting relationship with a voice in my head and I've, I've come to realize and done, I've done so much internal reflection over the past four years that I feel like I have a really deep relationship at this point with my inner voice. And it's because just like you said, I started to just allow it to mm-hmm. just allow whatever was really there and I also had experienced this unique, I don't know that it's unique. I, I, I just, when you have this conversation about worthiness, and I think that this is important in all aspects of what we do is like really showing people that they are worthy of whatever it is that they desire. And so I had this like innate sense of worthiness since I was a very young child. Mm-hmm. And it carried me through my entire adult life. And then in 2014, I suddenly started to experience the feeling of unworthiness for the first time in my life. So I have this deep worthiness and then I I start to experience unworthiness and I start to allow other people's perceptions of me to become my own. And I found myself in a two-year cycle of depression and really didn't know how uh, to manage it. Um, I really didn't even recognize that that's what it was. And so I would just like look inside my head and I'd, I'd be like, you know, well, what is different? And it's like, oh, well, in the past when I had a negative thought, I just would ignore it and I would move on. But in the past, the other thing I would also ignore is that there were emotions that were being drawn up from that. And so really what I was doing was avoiding the emotion. Right. Of it. And so it was this avoidance strategy. So now what I do is I just recognize there are all these aspects of myself. You know, there's the aspect of me that really believes in me. And there's an aspect of me that doesn't believe in me sometimes. And they both are present all the time. But where I put my focus is where I can have the most impact. So if I'm putting my focus towards feeling worthy and knowing that I'm capable of everything and, and really, you know, allowing that in and spending more focus there, then I tend to enjoy my work more. I tend to create better results. And if I spend time in the unworthiness patterns or the negative patterns, I notice that I start to question myself more. I start to have less confidence. And so, but like helping, like looking at them as aspects really helped me. Like aspects, if you look at the facets of a diamond, there are millions of facets and they all are required to make the brilliance actually exist. That's a great way to put it. Yeah, yeah. I love that. I mean, a therapist once said to me, whatever you give attention to grows stronger. Yeah. And, uh, and it's so true. And it's, and it's, and it, I like, that was one of those things where it's like, uh, once you know, that's just became one of those universal truths in my head that like that there are times when I need to remind myself of that. And it's one of those times where it's like, well, if the feeling isn't supportive of what I'm trying to get done, then it's not about igno- ignoring the feeling. It's about, you know, it's about giving the space, like I said before, the space it deserves and then putting my attention somewhere else. Yeah. You know? And to shift the attention doesn't mean to ignore the feeling. It says, okay, we're going to do this in spite of how you're feeling about it right now. Um, 
because the feeling isn't helping you. And so we need to do something else until that feeling either catches up um, or if it doesn't, then that's another sign to step back and go, wait a minute, what do, what do we need to address over here? Mm -hmm. um, but so much of that, I think, back to this point of language comes to what, how do we call ourselves? How, what do we call those things? And I'll admit that I am super sensitive to labeling and diagnoses. I, I find generally that those are singularly unhelpful. Uh, I think that, um, you know, I, I, I remember I had postpartum depression after my first son and um, I knew what it was and it took me a long time to get anybody else to figure it out. Um, but then what was so interesting is that once I started to see, you know, therapist for that, sounds like I've been in therapy a lot too. Um, uh, he actually refused to name it after that, you know, because, and, and I understood after the fact why, and there's actually two schools of thoughts when it comes to therapy. And I think there's a lot of application here beyond mental health, but there's two schools of thought. And one is diagnosis-based and one is not diagnosis-based. One is about, you know, symptoms and actions. And the issues with diagnosis-based is that if you tell someone that they have anxiety or you tell someone that they're depressed, then this, these millions of facets that you're talking about, Nicole, all of a sudden get glumped into a pane of glass that's called depression. And all of a sudden you're like, well, this is just me being depressed or this is just me being anxious or I'm anxious. Therefore, this is how I'm supposed to act and respond in that situation rather than releasing that and saying, it's not that you may not satisfy some clinical definition of depression or anxiety, but it's not allowing that to be the trap. Right. And that's one of those things where, you know, words can be just as harmful uh, as they can sometimes be helpful because when we don't expand beyond a single label, uh, then I think we often use that as a, a way to stay trapped in a place that we don't want to be trapped if we really, if we're really quite honest with ourselves or sometimes we do want to stay trapped there and we're not honest about that either. Mm -hmm. So one of the things that's been so fascinating to me is to see evolutions in how people, every, from everything from marketing to mental health, um, really engage in reframing things. And so there was this really fascinating study that was done about uh, kids and the way that we typically view you know, personalities, strengths, or weaknesses with them, and how in the seeds of anybody's future greatness is usually some kind of fault that somebody had with them at, at, in the past. So as an instance, one that I remember is that, you know, if you get a, a kid that's really um, gets, gets very upset when things don't seem fair, you know, a lot of times what's our response to that? Our response to that is to be like, well, you know, kid, life isn't fair. Get used to it and whatever. And the thing is, though, what we're doing is that we're telling him or her that this baked in desire for justice, which could be unleashed in the world in such an amazing way, is something that they should fundamentally ignore in the best case scenario and in the worst case scenario somehow feel bad about. And so... All of this is just the swirling thing of how important it is and how how careful it is, how careful we need to be with when we assign words to things and what words we assign. I had such a really interesting experience with this because in my whole path of discovery, the, one of the first questions I asked was, "Who am I?" 
like really like who am i i'm like facing you know mortality like who am i really and how did i get here and i quickly was like you know i'm a marketer i'm a mother i'm a label 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 you know and i had this list of labels and then I realized I was like, I'm like, none of these things hold true forever, right? Like for, for beyond this human experience, if it doesn't hold true, then how could it possibly true to, to speak to the essence of who I truly am? And so it really helped me to say, well, yes, like at times, you know, I have expertise in marketing, but that doesn't mean that I am a marketer per se. It means that I have this expertise and that skill and that doesn't define me just like the color of my skin doesn't define me or you know, whether I'm a male or a female doesn't define me. And one of the best things that really has helped me with my self-talk as well as having compassion and empathy for others when they're struggling. You know, you talk about depression and anxiety and I'm so glad you brought it up because we, I've seen this running rampant in marketing industry. You know, we see so many of our friends who are feeling depressed and they openly talk about it, but really like as a support in a community, how can we really help? And it was, I watched this video from Matt Kahn, who's amazing, by the way, a really heart open, centered man who really shows you how to love yourself unapologetically. And he said, you know, talk to yourself as if you are a three-year-old child and you just got hurt. Would you tell yourself get up and shake it off, you know, <laughs> like if you were if you were one of your children and they were genuinely hurt? And having that perspective of talking to myself and, and modulating my self-talk when I am feeling anxiety or stress or anything that I've previously labeled as negative and having instead showing compassion to it has completely changed the way that I talk to myself. That's amazing. I love that. And there's, there's, such, there's a cool thing that says actually, too, that if we refer to ourselves in the third person, that also is a great way to actually soften that language that we use around ourselves. And that when we start to describe what's happening in a particular situation with, with us as a third person, um, then we're actually better able to see the story arc, frankly, that they say. And I just find that a fascinating thing. Too. Love today's guest? Here's how you can learn more. Whether you know what it is yet or not, your big idea starts with how you see the world. And if you want to create big change with that big idea, you need to get other people to see the world the way you do. Because we can't change what people do until we change how they see. Whether it's for your pitch, presentation, or your whole platform, the Red Thread helps you find that unique link between how you see and what you do. Learn more at TamsinWebster.com. And now let's get back to the show. In this particular situation with, with us as a third person, um, then we're actually better able to see the story arc, frankly, that they say. And I just find that a fascinating thing, too. No, I was going to riff a little bit, too. I think it's a fascinating topic. I personally zeroed in a little bit on, uh, Tamsin, when you were talking about acting your way out of a feeling and acknowledging the feeling. I, I, those are two things I practice, if that makes any sense. Mm -hmm. um, first of all, I love Pima Chodron, right? And she talks about not running away from your thoughts, but just to look at them like they're thoughts or feelings, mm -hmm. right? Like, oh, I'm thinking again. 
oh, I'm feeling again. And, uh, and for me, that's really important. Like I also had a bad weather week because of DC, man, it was pouring last week. And I swear to God, I, and I ran a photo workshop in the middle of this pouring rain on Saturday and everything is hilarious. But by Friday, I felt like I wanted to drop, jump off a cliff. I mean, I'm like, man, if I wanted to live in Seattle, I'd move there. This is horrible. Right. And the world was just terrible and all that stuff. And that's when I had to kick into um, what I called like the next right thing or acting. And that was the other thing that I picked up on what you were talking about, uh, which is kind of like acting your way into right thinking. Mm-hmm. You know, like I, I am incapable. I, I, I just don't have the spiritual fortitude to literally say, okay, stop thinking negative or stop kicking yourself in the teeth. The only way I tend to feel better is when I act my way into right thinking, which is doing the next right thing or doing something positive or, or literally just helping somebody out. And when I do that, I, I shift psychically, you know, like I have like a psychic yep. small change that kind of moves me into the right direction. And uh, one thing I'll do sometimes is literally write a gratitude list. Um, and the other thing that was interesting uh, that was brought up was like the whole children thing and like how we pass these things on. My daughter, Soleil, had, she's seven, for those of you that don't know her, and uh, she had a re- big recital this, uh, yesterday. And uh, she really struggled this year with dance class, and we made her keep going. We, you know, we said, yeah, you can't quit until it's done. And when it's done, then you can choose not to come back. But we don't quit in this house. And, uh, and we made her go through it, and she, by the end of the class, she worked through whatever her block was, and she was loving dance again okay i love that but she got violently ill on saturday night and couldn't go and she was like freaking devastated right devastated yesterday she's like literally crying on the couch and like the poor girl was like i mean i'm sorry it was like a scene out of the exorcist like projectile vomiting across stairs and stuff like horrible right sorry for the visual folks uh, (laughs) you know like it, it was bad and it was a really interesting moment as a parent and uh, I, what we told her was, uh, Caitlin and I, we, we sat down with her and we said, like, one, you, you did you did it, okay? It's not the recital that matters. It's that you finished everything. Here are your flowers that we were going to give you when you were done your performance and all that stuff. And here's the celebration and the congratulations. And we had, like, their teacher-centered videos and all that stuff. And it, it was really telling her about, like, hey, it's not the specific moment necessarily that matters. It's all the action that you take to get there. And, and that's what you have to celebrate. And I think like sometimes when we're marketers to get to what Nicole is talking, then I'll shut it. Cause I know I'm babbling a little bit, but uh, like we label everything, right? We, we say you're an expert or you've achieved this or you're certified that. And it never really talks about the experience or the actions that we take to get there and how we grow. And I'll tell you what, these labels and the way this society is moving right now, things are going so quickly I don't believe in the labels anymore. You can call yourself an expert and I'm going to tell you that's great, but Facebook just changed everything with Cambridge Analytica or everything's changed in Europe now with this new data privacy law on and on and on conversations that we have every week. You're not an expert this week. I'm sorry. It, it just changed. It's, it's not personal, but we got to keep moving. And, and I think when we do that and support each other in that way, we're in a great place. Absolutely. Well, that's the thing. I mean, And I've always been, so I was having a conversation with a a friend and mentor the other day, and she had pointed out that, you know, I'm 
I'm adamantly not in branding and marketing anymore in, in what I do day to day. And I often will describe myself as a recovering marketer. Um, <laughs> and she was really curious about that because a lot of times people do look at what I do now and they say, well, isn't that branding and positioning? And I'm like, no, it is not. And there's a lot of reasons why. <clears throat> but she was challenging me to say, well, you know, if branding is my heritage. Like, there was a reason I outgrew it. Why, why was that? And that's exactly this point that we're talking about is this, that, that we have violated that, you know, apocryphal Einsteinian quote that of making things, you know, as simple as they can be, but no simpler. And I think we went too far. I think that particularly what happens in branding and marketing is that we try to make things so simple that in fact, that we end up doing more damage than, than, than getting the gain from that. Because what happens is it's absolutely impossible for a system, an organism, which is what any, any, any organization, organization is, to be captured in a single brand, a single label. And even if we think truly about what brand is, we say it's the sum total of all, that's my favorite description of it, it's the sum total of all somebody's experiences with you or with the brand. How could you possibly capture that in even a, you know, even a tagline? You can't. Because for, the, if for no other reason than that, that meaning that people draw from those experiences is contextual by definition. And so what we've tried to do over and over again in marketing is to label the experience. And what we have not done is gone deeper and saying, what is driving the patterns of decisions that create those experiences in the first place? That is knowable. We can look at that. We can look at it and say, you know, why does Jeff or why does Nicole in this situation act like this? predictably, not always 100%, but there's going to be reasons. And the reason, if we look at that, comes back to not the labels what we, that we put on ourselves, but these, these series of values and assumptions. And again, it's a system of values and assumptions that go into play about what you're trying to achieve, why you're trying to achieve it. How do you look at the world in a way that's different than other people? What are your fundamental truths? Because, you know, you both nodded along and agreed when I said that whatever you give attention to grows stronger. But I'm sure there are people out there going, well, no, actually, actually, that's not what I believe. Okay, fine. Like, then we're for different people. But I get, obviously, a little fired up about this fact that (laughs) we try to just make it so simple and be like, well, we're for this. And I'm like, but you're not for that in this situation. So how do we resolve that? Because I get it as, as marketers, we, you know, we, we're in a position of having to figure out how to articulate what a brand is about. But that's where I think it comes back to understanding, you know, not just this one why, which I think again is a good idea, but it just keeps it too simple. And what's the system that determine why, why, an organization acts the way it does or why, why, what's the system of why's that say, why does a person act the way they do in this particular situation? And it's not because they're a marketer or a mother. It's because they're a combination and there's this other stuff going yeah, on. Yeah. And it's, so something uh, came to me that I, it's been just running around my head. And then obviously like the, I get signs from the universe. So literally on the way here, there was this truck and it said the power of one, get to the power of one, simplify. And this is something that's been running through my head of like, how, how do you capture essence? You know, essence is 
the totality of experience, the totality of feeling, the totality of visual. And it's not made up by one graphic or one airline flight or one interaction. It's made up by the sum of all of them. And instead of trying to label it, if we could just recognize that each of us is incredibly unique in our diamonds, they're all different. And each one of us is the only one who sees through that particular cut of a diamond because it's ours. Then we get to start to really appreciate what as marketers we've talked about for quite some time, which is to personalize marketing, you know, marketing one to one. But what we've really done is we've been marketing one to labels, you know, <laughs> to demographics, geographic locations and uh, religious or, you know, choosings and all of these things, these labels that we've been using, that's what we've been marketing to versus really saying, okay, well, as an organization, we have an opportunity to inspire our customer base to essentially step into their full potential to be themselves unapologetically to get beyond that our brand is going to make you look affluent or our brand is going to you know make you feel good about yourself we can actually start to learn about self-talk learn about the emotional implications learn about mental health and there's some very small things that you can do that have tremendous impact just by measuring the question of how do you feel after you experience this mm. on a scale of one to 10, you know, the conscious marketing podcast is sponsored by the conscious marketing Institute. Learn more at consciousmarketinginstitute.com. Are you ready to go further? Check out the latest free masterclasses and upcoming courses. Learn more at consciousmarketinginstitute.com. Am I striking a chord for you today? You can hire me too. Learn how at ConsciousMarketingInstitute.com. Just click on services. Are you loving what Jeff is laying down? You should hire him. Learn more at LivingstonCampaigns.com. I really like seeing something happen that impacts people. There's nothing quite like building a product or a service or helping a cause where you get to see the customer or the end user really feel awesome or smile because this changed the way they think about the world. When you do something like that, that has lasting impact. And there's only three types of campaigns you can buy. Fundraising, product launch, or some major corporate initiative. Learn more at livingstoncampaigns.com. And now let's get back to the show. Learn about self-talk. Learn about the emotional implications. Learn about mental health. And there's some very small things that you can do that have tremendous impact just by measuring the question of how do you feel after you experience this mm. on a scale of one to 10, you know? Uh, and I, that's so fascinating to me too, because it's, you know, there, and we talked a little bit about this on the pre-call that I think there is a, there is such a clear connection between how we see and what we do that, you know, where I think, where I think branding and marketing and even our own self-talk gets in the way is that we, that we, we focus only on one half of that equation and that's on the, what we do. And then we try to label that and we try to make that universal and it just isn't, you know, I just, I think there is a limit to how much we can simplify something. And you can see this even in, you know, it's, it's a well-known example, but just even think about 
there were many different kinds of reactions to United's beating up their passenger, right? Because I saw plenty of people who were like, oh my gosh, I can't believe they do this. I'm never flying United again. And then people were like, well, you know, the guy was a jackass and, you know, he deserved it. And, and paying attention to who was saying each of those things was, is very informative when you think about who United is really for. And the thing is that for one group of people, United's brand looks like one thing. And for another group of people, it looks like something very, very different and not negative. All right. So one, it looks negative. One, it looks positive. And the thing is, who does United actually care about? The people who didn't, weren't really all that bothered by it, which generally based on my observation tend to be the million mile flyers on, on United because they're the ones through which United makes all their money. United doesn't care about the other folks and they, you know, they feel like they have to put this brand out there that acts as if they care, but it's like, it's it, more indicative of what people are about than what they do. Like always look at what people do, what an organization does over time. It doesn't matter what they say. What do they do that you can see those patterns and, and, and depending on what side of the fence you're on and whether or not they are for you, whether or not an organization is for you, that's either going to be positive or negative. The biggest mistake I think that we make, you know, that I see people make in branding and marketing is trying to be for everybody and feeling bad about the people that you're not for. But right. the minute that you can be clear and go, you know, we, listen, we just don't see the world the same way and that's okay because if I don't have to waste my time trying to like shift some fundamental value for you and I can really focus on the people who I have a hope of actually helping because they see the world the way that I do. I think I offer something that they can, they can, um, that can really be a value to them. We share values of things like credibility or uh, possibility or, you know, resourcefulness or whatever it is then you're able to focus your attention. You're able to deliver better to the people who will actually benefit. And I, if I could do one thing and wave a magic wand, that's the shift that I'd want to see people make. It's just know, know who you're really for because when you, and, and why you're for them and what are you trying to do for them? Because if you can orient from there, then everything else becomes so much clearer. Mm. And you, and you just don't spend time worrying about what other people may think about the brand because if they're not for you, if they're not, if they're not what you're there, if they're not who you're there to serve, then it doesn't matter. It just doesn't. You know, it's funny. Uh, I came out of the PR side of the business and uh you know ac god forbid right and that's the worst part of it <laughs> not that i have an opinion or anything not to put a label on it but uh so pr people believe it or not i mean this may shock you will tell you what you want to hear rather than the oh. truth and um Ooh, you don't say stop it like it's antithetical to the actual business because if you think about what public relations is actually supposed to be about it's about literally bridging a relationship, a re keep that word in mind, a relationship <laughs> between a brand or an organization and the people it serves. Another word to keep in mind as well. So anyway, I used to tell people in PR, like I never ever judge a PR person by what they say because I know they're going to tell me everything I want to hear. 
I'm judging them by what, by what they're doing. And if they're not doing the right thing, then I'm totally not working with them, you know? And it, and it just comes down to that. And I think that now in this world that we live in, where it's like all Instagram and Snapchat, and here's my selfie. And as a photographer, I, I really kind of laugh when I see the selfies. It's really, it's amazing to me to watch somebody literally frowning as they're walking down the street, see something they like, and then all of a sudden go like this and take that photo 15 times because it's so unauthentic, right? Yeah. Um, you really have to judge people by their actions. I love that, Tamsin. It's really spot on. It's just and, the truth will out over time. You, I mean, and, and all of us have been in this space, the social space, the marketing space for, you know, at least 10 years now. And it's been interesting. I think you can say to see over time, and I'm not just talking about like businesses now, but even people, you've been able to see like, okay, well, what are the patterns there? And there's a point at which like you see the people who are constantly grinding it out and trying to find a new way to do things. You see the people who are in it for themselves. You see the people who are in it for other people. You see the people who sat back on their laurels and was, are, are, like expect things to come to them. You just see it over time. <laughs> I mean, but brands do the same thing. And that's what I'm saying. It's like over time, you know, the reason why you have a relationship with a brand is because over time, a series of interactions has created a set of meaning, you know, for you. And what happens with branding is that we try to reverse that process and we try to start with the meaning that we want, attach words to that, and then hope that people will just adopt that meaning. And that's, like flat out on the surface of it, crazy cuckoo bananas. Like that's just, it's crazy that you think that you can predetermine what you want the meaning to be. Mm. You can't L go back and figure out why are you trying to create that meaning in the first place? Cause I will tell you like that is a much richer source of a longstanding brand than whatever aspirational tagline you want to put in the play into play in the first place. Go back to why you are doing what you're doing. The reason why you started a business, the reason why you took a job, the reason why you left a job, the reason why you, you wanted to write a book, the reason why you wanted to give a talk. Each of those things was because you were trying to achieve something the way that other people were looking at it wasn't quite right for you. You had a different perspective. And the reason why that perspective was so important for you was because of some fundamental way that you saw the world. You put those things together always you will result in and this is why i want to do it differently and all you ever have to do is go back and try and recreate the conditions that got you to that place and you have something that is true and will be true over time right that's what we've got to get back to it's yeah funny. i have people tell, ask me all the time are you gonna write another book are you gonna write another book and i keep telling them i'm like when i have something to say that it's actually an idea that people would want to revolve around or maybe use it's valuable then i'll do it but i don't want to do it for the sake of doing it and uh i i'm not trying to build a brand as an author i'm trying to get ideas out there locked in again she's like best guest nicole best guest. <laughs> Awesome. <laughs> I knew you guys would love each other. And I think the like the key word in all of this is authenticity. Mm -hmm. And the, the interesting thing is that this is a conversation that we've all three been ha having for over a decade about authenticity. Social media was supposed to be the channel that finally created transparency for brands and authenticity. And instead for brands as well as for individuals, 
it paints another picture of this lifestyle or this brand experience that is disconnected by from what actually happens. Now we're becoming really good at painting a pretty picture and then behind the scenes doing whatever we were doing before, whether it's politics, bureaucracy, um, you know, everything. I mean, you see all the headlines of we've got sexual harassment scandals and all of this kind of stuff. And it comes down to because the experience with a brand is an experience with people. And each of those people has a unique perspective and a unique lens. And their lens is predicated on their life experiences. So myself growing up the way that I grew up versus the way you guys grew up, we each have different experiences of that. And one of the most helpful things in, in lear learning really how the mind operates is from our future guest, um, the Antonia, um, Antonia Dodge, and she's from Personality Hacker. And what I love about what she does is she uses the Myers-Briggs model to tell you how your mind operates by default. Doesn't mean you can't change it. Doesn't mean you can't upgrade it. But by default, your mind operates a certain way as if you've, been, you've received software, if you will. And when we start thinking about how the mind operates and why it operates that way and how our emotional bodies operate and why they operate that way, it all comes down to inauthenticity because when something isn't authentic, we feel it in our bones. You know, and I think I, and I will say I've always had an issue with authentic because it's so ripe for being another label. And I think because you can be authentic, I remember writing a blog post about this, I don't know, probably eight, nine years ago now. I'm like, you can be authentically an asshole, you know, and still be authentic, right? And, and so I think that the word that we mean is something that's closer to integrity or congruence, um, where there's no gap between what we say we are and what we are. Because, but the reason why I prefer something like congruence or consonants is even my favorite, better. I love consonants as the, as the way to describe it because consonants has that kind of physical quality because it's the opposite of dissonance, is that it still allows it to be contextual. And I think that can get in people's way um, is that we feel like to be authentic, we have to be the same way everywhere all the time. And in response to this, I would say, you know, I think, I think it was, I saw Ev Williams, I think it was him from Twitter talking about this. And he used this wonderful metaphor of the clothes in your closet. He said, you know, if you think about the clothes in your closet, they all belong to you, right? Well, you've got stuff to work out in, you've got stuff to, to you know, go to a business meeting with, um, and you've got all of these, uh, those things going on, but they all belong to you, but you're not going to wear the tuxedo to the yoga class, right? And, and the problem when we start to think about, you know, authenticity, and I love the concept behind authenticity, but it became a label, is that we felt like, well, I'm the yoga person. I'm going to wear the yoga thing everywhere. And if I don't wear the yoga thing everywhere, then I'm not being authentic. I'm like, bullshit. Sorry, I don't know if you guys are trying to keep this family. Um, right. <laughs> but it's like, no, that's not true. Like, it's just, it's just not true because you are, you're a multidimensional 
human or you're a multidimensional company. And the thing is with a brand, I think the only, you know, from a company standpoint, and maybe even from a person standpoint, the only person to whom all these different contextual things have to make sense is the person or the organization itself. And we have this perspective that like, well, we have to figure out how everyone to understand what the whole elephant looks like and why this is the best elephant and why it's a different elephant than somebody else. I'm like, no, we don't. No, we don't. Because as long as your customers who need tusks are like, this is an awesome tusk and I love that tusk. And the people who need a tail are like, your tail's working for us. It doesn't matter. It does not matter if they understand that they're connected unless you're an investor and like trying to understand how all those pieces go together. The right. only people it matters is, is to you. So it's like, as long as you can deliver what is a congruent experience to people in a consistent way, over time, that's the only thing that matters. But you'll never figure that out if you don't know why it is that you do what you do in the first place. Not your purpose, not your why, not your mission, not any of that. That's oversimplified too. Why you act the way you do in situations. Why do you do the way that you do, what you do in the way that you do it? That's what we have to figure out. Where do you think that, you know, because we create messages, we, you know, um, spin them, if you will, you know, from out of something. We start with a set of words. I think one of the big things that impacts messaging a lot is the level of review that it undergoes, especially when you're talking about brand messaging or even your own personal story and personal positioning. It's something you send through review and you get feedback on. And what I've found is that so many times you can start with something that really has integrity. And thank you for it, Tamsin. That word has been showing up for me a ton as well. When you ha when it feels like it is, it has integrity with it, and then it goes through this review, and it's like people just pick it apart, almost as if it's like I need my little stamp on this, and so I'm gonna like change the word "and" to an ampersand, and <laughs> like that matters over time. It's just like if you screw somebody over in the transaction, I'm like, well, thank God you put the ampersand in there because that was much more quirky and sassy. Like. <laughs> It just doesn't matter. Like, as my friend Laura Otting would say, you're just not that important. Yeah. Right. You, you know, you're just not that important. That's you know, a, it's but ah, yeah. That's what I always think about. It's like the amount of navel gazing that goes into it is just incredible. Like, if you think about Warby Parker, I don't give a shit about Warby Parker until I need glasses. But then I care about Warby Parker for about maybe two days. Then I don't care about them anymore. And I won't right. care about them for another two years. And, and I think like brands forget that I, when they email people and all the junk that we get and like, we want you to be part of our experience. Can you give us this feedback? Blah, 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 blah. It's just like, no, go away. You're done. Right. Cause I it's contextual. Like, like if I don't need that thing right now, right. that's, you know, I've been talking to folks a lot about that. It's like, we try to figure out, you know, how to talk about ourselves in a way that, that people understand that we, that we deliver what they're looking for. And the first thing that we have to understand is, like, what are they already looking for? Like, if we've got people kind of in our, you know, mental attention spotlight, then we're already looking in a certain direction and certain things are already lit up. And, and, if, and if your approach as a brand is to say, no, no, swing the spotlight over here, like, that's just not going to work because people are way too busy. So what we have to figure out is, like, how do we, how do we get them to see us with in where, where they're already looking. And that's the thing that if you just even think about it from that perspective, how we tend to get that wrong. And that's why I always say we have to start with who are you for? Because if you don't know who you're talking to, you don't know what they're looking for. 
which means you'll never be able to figure out whether or not what you have is going to be of use to them. And you're certainly not going to know how is it that they are talking about what they're looking for. Because they're not looking for your thing as labeled by your, your thing. They're like, I'm trying to like make more money or spend less time or get differentiated in the marketplace. They're not saying, I'm looking for a totally coordinated synergized product for CRM marketing solutions always. And I'm like, no, they're not. No, they're not. You know, they're trying to make a specific thing that they're trying to do better. You need to show them how you could do that before you can ever widen their perspective on something else. What about falling down? So like one of the things like people know me from seven, eight years ago, ranting against the personal brand movement. Like I freaking hate the personal brand movement. I think it's the same reason why you hate the yoga mat thing. It's just like total utter bullshit. You cannot be a brand if you're a person. And it's because you fall down. You fall down all the time. Like I am like really terribly flawed and imperfect. And there are like, there's like whole years of my life that I wish I had acted differently, you know? But like, how do we, how do we like reconcile that with this whole authenticity and integrity and all that stuff? Like, Hey, you know what? When I was 20, I, you know, didn't value relationships the way I should have, you know? And now I do. I mean, how do we reconcile that as human beings? And I think when we put ourselves into this label or even, into that point where, well, you're not authentic because you acted that way seven years ago and you see this all the time, right? Uh, mm-hmm. I mean, how do we overcome that as people? How do we let each other off the freaking hook and forgive each other and let each other be human and grow together? That, oh, I think if we had the answer to that, we would have the answer to the world um, you know, and, 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 you know, my experience is the only thing that I can speak from. The first thing I would say is that I, I you know, and I, I, I joined you in the ranting against personal brand and I still am there with you, um, is, is the first thing is that, you know, an inherent danger of, of any kind of labeling, right, is overpromising. And so it's like, I, and it really, I mean, a lot of people say, oh, the success of any relationship is in communication. And I saw something, I think it was probably, I think it was a, article in the New York Times that said, actually, no, actually the, the secret to successful relationships is managing expectations. And you need communication in order to do that. But what you really are, what's really at the heart of it is managing expectations. And what can happen when you establish brand in a certain way is that you say, well, I am this. And when you, and when you say that, you are now then creating an expectation that you are always this all the time and that you always will be that. And I'm just not comfortable with that because God knows I wouldn't want to be judged by like decisions that, that, and, and worldviews that I had, but you know, and all of those things do tend to shift over time. Right. And so, you know, that's where I get back to saying, okay, you know, the, the people who have, you know, the people and the brands that have stayed in my life long-term are people who share some of those intersections of that worldview. Do, do we, you know, what's the, what's the ultimate goal? Do we share things about what we're trying to help other people do or whether or not we're actually about helping other people? So I can tell you full stop that like the people who've stayed in my life are the people who part of their goal is to serve ideas that are bigger than themselves. They are for, they are for helping other people at, at scale at, at some level. Like I do not have people brands in my life that, that, that are self-serving like i'm not for the takers and it's just not the case you know and the things that you know other places are like oh how do we see the world do we see the world as a you know is is it 
you know, are the people who are consistent and the brands are consistent in my life are, are people who, uh, you know, believe that people already have the resources that they need. They, that they believe that, you know, some bad actors aside, that people already have good stuff, that there's, that all we have to do is find the good stuff. Um, are there people who believe other things? Absolutely. Do I want to spend time with those people or those brands? No, I don't. And as is clear with the three of us, there's also shared values around, do we believe that A, people are possible of, of change over time? It's clear that all three of us do. Right. B, do we think that there's danger in like oversimplification? Yes. So it's just, again, it's a system of these things. And it doesn't mean that we have to agree with every last bit of everything, the way these do. But if there's enough of an overlap, enough of an overlap, and you can find what's be beneath that, what's, again, what's driving the decisions that create these experiences. That's where there's common ground. And so, you know, that famous negotiation tactic of, you know, argue for interests and not positions. I think that there's what there's real value to, to, to answer your question is that we actually need to find the principles that drive the interests that drive the positions, because we can go one step back further. Then you actually get even past labels of, you know, let's say just, you know, to, tread in dangerous ground that we get past the principles even of religion, right? And and not like, well, this is the way that the, the Judaism calls it, and this is the way the Muslims, uh, you know, the, the Islam calls it, and this is the way that, that Christianity calls it, or this is the way the secular humanists call it, and say, but why do we believe that thing? Because we believe in the sanctity of human life, or we believe in that the power of the group is greater than it. So if you can get past even that, then you're at a point where you say, okay, now I can truly find common ground. And I think if there's any hope anywhere in this, it's about understanding that. And I think it comes down to power of language, right? You know, like uh, Jeff, you said, you know, I'm terribly flawed and it's really, you're beautifully flawed. We all are. We're yeah. beautifully flawed human beings and we are on an evolution in our lifetime that's what this journey is about and so for all of us if we get stuck in this time where we're like i am this you notice we all fall out of it right. like i even look at um uh so lovingly you know Mari Smith used to always wear teal and she looks amazing in teal but I have a I imagine she probably killed teal for herself because she wears other colors now <laughs> and I love her in all colors but like she had created this brand that like I always look at this way in this color and then suddenly you notice that because th there is nothing permanent about the human experience and right. our perspective is certainly something that's probably the least permanent of everything. And you know, and the thing is like her idea and her ideas were bigger than blue. And mm -hmm. that's, that's the danger of labels and brand is that you, and it goes back to what we said right at the beginning, your, your big ideas are always bigger than you think. You know, it's they always are. Like when I think of Madonna, who's like completely tangential, but she is like one of the most incredible music brands and she had an incredible career. I mean, whatever you think about her as a person, you cannot deny the amount of success that she had decade after decade after decade when people like her, her peers, would flame out. They would lose it. And it's because she was a master of not getting locked into a brand. She constantly reinvented herself. She was an artist. She was always an artist, and that was her spirit. And people eventually uh, just expected that of her to, to throw them a new loop, and that was what was great about her, I thought. You know? Well, the, the, 
I'm sorry if I sound like a broken record with this, but there's always, there are always things that drive what we do. And so, you know, what happens is we, we stop ourselves the minute we, we stop it. Well, this is what I do instead of saying, well, why did I do that? Because the thing is like, you know, back to our early discussion about self-talk, I, like my, my, my phone ring and like my theme song is like Edith Piaf, like, je ne regrette rien. like, no, I regret nothing. Like it's literally the way that I see my life. Um, because of this idea that, you know, and I've said this to myself in moments of like where I am beating myself about something I did, the thing I'll ask myself is, did I make the best decision I was capable of making given the circumstances and the information I was in at the time? Like, was it the best decision I could have made at the time? Like, it's not fair to go back and judge a now knowing what you know now to judge a decision that you made then it doesn't excuse it if it was bad or it hurt somebody else but it may have been the best thing you could see your way to doing at the time again doesn't stop you from going back and asking for forgiveness for those things if they if they hurt somebody else or if they if they created damage but if you if you give yourself permission you know even as a company to go back and say well given what we understood at the time or what resources were available to us at the time. Did that decision make sense? Was it the best one that we could make? If the answer to that is yes, even if you'd make a different decision now, then that's a point where you have to say, that's all I could have asked for myself. That's all we could have asked for ourselves. And then if you don't like that, if you would do something differently now, then you make that commitment that the next time, now that I know what I know, now that I have clarity, now that I could see the damage that that meant, then I'm going to handle a similar situation differently. And you make that commitment because I don't know about you. Oh, I'm a rule follower. So it's like, if I set up a rule for like that for myself, then I'm like, okay, you know? And so what I won't be able to do is like, I'm like, oh shoot, I'm in this situation again. I said that I would do something differently. I said that I would do like, let's say I said that I would, you know, uh, be upfront about this X, you know, this thing, whatever it is. And if I don't do it, then I've got that because uh, I know that question's coming to myself. My question will come to myself. Did I make that best decision um, given the circumstances? And I don't ever want to have to tell myself no, that I didn't make the best decision I could. Yeah. And I think that as like individuals, that's what we all want. As marketers, truly, that's what we want. And, and even getting caught in the politics and bureaucracy of branding and messaging and advertising, at the core, I believe that we are all people with really good intentions. We want to help the brand find the right customer. We want, the, we want to help the customer find the right brand. And when we color it with language... I think it's really important for us to consider how, how this, like where our language comes from. Look at yourself in the mirror. Look at where your own language comes from. Look at how you talk to yourself. And then consider how the language that you're using either inspires or empowers those on the other end or disempowers. Because when I see things like, you know, we talked to Jay uh, last week and we Jay Bear and we had this whole conversation about you know people will use fear as long as fear works and one of the things that had just kind of caught me is at a conference the CMO said sell to the heart you know sell just sell to the heart and it's like whoa like 
you don't understand what's going on in here. Like you, like for a brand to like now take this like core piece of who we are as humans and try to turn it into this machine that become, now we can't trust how our, how we feel. And now like, it just like, it kind of muddied the waters for me. So Tamsin, I was curious for you, we can kind of close it out with this. Like, what do you think, like, what is the dangerous list? Like the, the really stay away from this. If you are a conscious marketer who is moving with the intention of helping and serving others. Well, that answer is simple. Uh, it, truly, it's simple. The, the danger lies in, in going off of that track. Mm-hmm. The minute you operate a, a way or in a way that's inconsistent or incongruent with that intention, however you have set it for yourself, that's where danger lies, you know? And, and I agree. I think for, for the you know, three of us, for hopefully most of your listeners, uh, we do believe that marketers are, have good intentions. Um, but I actually, but I, I know, and so do all three of us, that there are marketers who don't have those good intentions and that, 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 that they are in it just for, for the money and for maximizing personal gain or, or company gain or whatever, who don't, you know, who have been in situations where, you know, they have had no issue with some ethical violation of the company. I know I've left, you know, at least two jobs because of that. Um, what happens is when you don't, when you, when you go off track, when you're allow, when you allow a gap either internally with your own, with your own set of, you know, whys, um, you know, if you allow that to persist, that's, that's dangerous. You work a, a way that's counter to what you believe to be true or what you, well, that's going to say what you believe to be true and what you know to be true, or you allow that gap to exist for a company. I mean, it's, it's whenever a company has, has operated from the gap and not from that strong basis um, that they've gotten themselves in trouble. And yeah. again, it's, you know, it doesn't mean that it's, it's not even that they've done something. I mean, cause there's plenty of companies that, that do it. it, it that's, that is their modus operandi is to figure out whatever they can you know, like squeeze out of the system and they're going to get caught for it and whatever, but long-term they're usually fine because there's enough other people that support that. So I just think if you want to be able to feel confident, if you as a company want to be able to sustain your, your brand long-term, then understand what drives what you do, uh, and, and you know, why you do what you do the way that you do it and, and hold true to that. If you hold true to that, you can shift over time, but hold true to that and then you will, you will stay out of danger. One of my uh, favorite advertising campaigns of all time was Smith Barney. Do you remember that old curmudgeon that would be like, look, walk around like he was in Boston or Philly? Like, we earn it. You know, we, we get business the old-fashioned way. We earn it. And I think when you consider the way brands work today, if you're not earning business, like literally building it with great products or services, then in the end, you're like basically lying and bullshitting to people. And when you, when you're on that kind of a frame or you're on shaky legs, as you had said, then you're going to have problems or you're going to attract people that are also similar to you that are going to try to like shake and bake and knife and get around things. And I, I think it's just, it's not authenticity necessarily, but it is having a basic premise where you offer value. And if you cannot offer value as a business, the marketing doesn't matter. You will either 
have marketing that will make your product go faster or you will fail sooner. And in the end, even those bad brands that are bullshitting people, and I know the CEO you were talking about, Nicole, I think, um, like, you know, the reality is, is there was a, there was a core product there that's valuable to people. And if that wasn't there, that company would be out of business based on the way they market. That's right. And the, 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 the way to even prove that to yourselves is look at the people, look at the companies that seemingly break all the rules of marketing and branding and still do fine. Like, you know, companies, brands that have been around forever and don't do traditional brand advertising. People who, you know, the, you know I would think the first person that comes to mind is Joey Coleman, who is a $20,000 talk speaker. He is, you know, doing amazing things. Didn't have a social, like, didn't even have a Facebook account until like six months ago. Like, didn't have a website until like a year ago. There are always people out there when they are so good at what they do and they're so true and they are to who they serve and how and why. And they are, they have, you know, congruence to that integrity to that, um, that they, they keep that, they keep creating, you know, experiences that generate a consistent meeting with people over time. It doesn't actually matter whether or not you've checked the boxes of what everybody says that you should do from branding and marketing. Just Find your people, serve them, serve them well, and you'll be fine. Yeah, I think I can summarize it in uh, one quote that I found that I actually turned into a, every like couple months I change the screensaver on my phone with some like inspirational thing. And it says, be so good, they can't ignore you. And that has so many meanings to me. It's, it's pure of intention. It's pure of service. It's, you know, and, and I changed it to be so great. They can't ignore you to just allow that greatness to shine. And whether that's your individual greatness or it's the company's greatness, when, when you're operating from the perspective of, I want to share our greatness with the world so that it will help others. You, you've already won at that point because the people who want to be helped by those who are doing great work will find a way to find you. And so with that, thank you so much for oh, you're welcome. Thank you so much. You're welcome. And so if anybody wants to learn anything more about you, it's at TamsonWebster.com. That's it. T-A-M-S-E-N, Webster.com. Thank you all for joining. We hope you enjoyed the show and we will see you next time. The Conscious Marketing Podcast is produced by WCR Studios. Want to have your show produced by us? Learn more at WCRstudios.com. Music for the Conscious Marketing Podcast is provided by Sophia Fleming. Please check out our new album, Collection of Reflections. Just search for Sophia Fleming online. Thank you for joining the Conscious Marketing Podcast and taking a look in the mirror with us. We hope you found you learned something new about yourself and have another tool to help raise the bar of consciousness in our industry. If you liked what you heard, please take the time to give us a review. Every review matters and helps another marketer find their way here. Want to have next week's episode automatically queued up for your commute? Remember to subscribe before you leave. We thank you for your support. Please go to ConsciousMarketingInstitute.com for show notes, links, and other awesome resources. It is our honor to serve you. Now, let's go change the world.